Cody Football Show European Edition. All the weekend's action for you, listener. The boots, the tours, the zoot allures. As we talk Denada Granada, Benelige benefits, and all the German second division news you can handle in this Toby Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Euro team assemble as we welcome back Julien Laurent. Bonjour, James. Bonjour to you, Julien. Also with us, James Horncastle. Hi, James. Just cleared his mouth full. And Raphael Honigstein's here. <laughs> Hi, James. Right. I mean, and that can you be dodgy. professional? Yeah, can you be professional? No, everyone's having cookies and Ferrero Rocher because Alvaro Romeo is here. And yeah. he's a new dad. Alvaro, baby news. And I feel old now, but right. yes, I am a new dad. Has you just, aged you, Alvaro? So you That's should. the thing. Yeah. You've had a little mini-me. Is, yep. is it an Alfa Romeo? Could be. <laughs> could be. He could be a quick guy. Yeah. But his name is Ander Romeo, which is not too far, by Okay. The way. Yeah. yeah. Ander, that's lovely. Is that a football tribute? Uh, not at all. It's just a name from uh, my region, the Basque country. Yeah, yeah. No, but yeah. it's a lovely name. Yes, it is. It is. I can't, I can't believe you did that joke. What? The Alfa Romeo. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't uh, tempted to call him Unai? Unai? No, no, no. It wasn't. No? It wasn't. Right. Maybe the next one, hey. You Mikel, know. Mikel. Who knows? Pep, anyway, Pep. congratulations, Alvaro. Uh, have you been able to watch much football this week? Yes, a lot. A lot, oh. a lot. I had a lot of time at home. So it was possible, yes. And I'm not even tired. It's been all right so far. Right. So you're, you're let's see. High on new dad life. Exactly. That, that absolutely does not wear off. <laughs> I know. But I, I think the international break is going to be the moment when I really fall down. Okay. Right, fall well, apart. That's yeah. a good time to do it, yeah. in my opinion. In the meanwhile, let's just get a quick roundup of the big headlines and talking points across Europe. Starting in Spain, Alvaro, what's the big news? Well, everything in La Liga is defying predictions. Granada okay. is topping the table. Mm. And uh, then you see that Barcelona and Real Madrid uh, haven't played their Clásico this weekend. So, in a way, that's the reason why Granada is leading. But it's great news for La Liga because it's always about Barcelona, Real Madrid, Atletico. And nowadays, suddenly, you've got a team fresh, team come from the second division who got 20 points after 10 games. Incredible, which is as much they got in the whole season last time they were up. In Germany, there's a team defying expectations still, Rafa. Well, SC Freiburg seem to be defying expectations every single year, but uh, they had another one of those great results. They beat Leipzig at home 2-1 to still stay third in, in the league after Dortmund and Schalke only drew 0-0 in the big Revere derby at the All weekend. Right. And we'll be hearing later from you about why the Bundesliga's VAR is the best league in your best if you, division. If in, you want comedy defending, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and goalkeepers punching players in undefined it can regions. Happen. Yeah. Uh, James, Italian news. Yeah, we've got Atalanta bouncing back, uh, Partridge style, the seven wonders of Bergamo. Um, we also have AC Milan plumbing new depths mm. as well. And uh, the top two teams. Juventus and Inter dropping points. Who took advantage, James? We'll find out over the next hour. Damn. Okay, Julien Laurence. Le Classique got played Sunday night. Yes, it did. And once again, we won. You certainly did, didn't you, Jules? <laughs> All right, fantastic. I can't wait to hear who we might be. Yeah. Mm. Stay with us, listener, as we spin our Euro Wheel of Destination.
That's right. Listener, we've landed in Germany. Land of lots of draws this weekend, Rafa, including the hotly anticipated Revier Derby between the Schalke and Borussia Dortmund. What an exciting place to start then. <laughs> it was a pretty exciting mm. game. I mean, it did finish goalless, but um, Schalke were actually the better side. They hit the post, they hit the bar, they created lots of chances. Dortmund, uh, for XG friends, 0 0.35. That's um, all they mustered. They're expected to score 0 0.35 goals. Yeah, it's really, really poor. Right. So they uh, didn't score any, James. They no. didn't score any. And no. in the first half, they had 0 0.08. And in the first half in Milan, in Inter, in midweek, they had 0 0.09. Right. And that really kind of sums up the total lack of of dangerosity that they are um, right. creating or not creating at the moment. That is such a word in Italian as well. Because that the defeat 2-0 away at San Siro last week in the Champions League. In the Bundesliga, they've drawn four of five now. And they've got Mönchengladbach coming up in the German Cup on Wednesday. That's going to be exciting. Yeah, it's the two Borussia's meeting. It's going to be really, really good. I mean, they, Dortmund managed to beat uh, Borussia uh, in the league only 10 days ago. But it was one of those games where actually the defeated side came out with slightly more credit, feeling that, you know what, we, we have arrived here. We can actually go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Dortmund and maybe we're at better side. And, of course, Borussia Mönchengladbach are still top after beating Frankfurt 4-2 on Sunday night. Mm. Um, it's the first time they've been top for three consecutive weeks since they actually last won the title in 1976. So wow. truly historic run uh, the Foles are on at the moment. And just one more, more word about, about the derby. The interesting thing was that Schalke under David Wagner have improved so much that they actually went out of the game feeling disappointed that they hadn't beaten Dortmund, which is not something I would have expected. I don't think it's something they would have expected at the beginning of the season when all the talk was about Dortmund winning the title and uh, Schalke having a season of consolidation, maybe in mid-table, maybe in Europa League, but they're going really, really strong. And Dortmund are continuing to, to lose ground, really. Okay. Borussia Mönchengladbach, Bayern Munich and Freiburg, the only three of the top sides that actually won. Mönchengladbach, as you say, with that 4-2 over, which featured a goal and an assist for Marcus Turam. He's been outstanding. He's been absolutely wonderful. Great decision, I think, for the club to really pursue him and great decision for him because he had lots of offers, but he decided, you know, this is the perfect size, this is the perfect sort of environment for me to grow. Not too much competition, at the same time, a team that is good enough to bring out the best of me and, and, and a manager in Marco Rose, who is improving players and is improving teams all the time and seems to have already you know, taken Gladbach to a whole new level uh, in the space of three months. Similarly, Robert Lewandowski seems to be really blossoming under the tutelage of Niko Kovac at Bayern Munich, <laughs> his best football ever. Yeah. That's what Niko Kovac said and it's, it's hard to disagree. Uh, it's amazing how... Lewandowski is, just keeps on scoring and buying a team that isn't really that strong when it comes to creating chances. They're not the Pep Guardiola side, they're not the Yupanka side. Even the Carlo Ancelotti side created a lot more goals, played much more exciting uh, football, really. Uh, this team are stuttering through games and um, again, it was a very unconvincing performance at home to Union Berlin, 2-1, and in the end, they sort of had to see up the game and there was a meme on, on Twitter where someone you know, was saying three years ago, the official held up a number, three or four, and the fans would say, oh, no, you know, we'd like to see the fourth or the fifth goal for Bayern. And now it's like, oh, good, the opposition will not have time to, uh, to equalise here. And that's kind of how things have, have shifted. But Lewandowski has been, has been sensational. He's become the first 
Bundesliga player to score in the first nine consecutive uh, match days of a new season. And uh, he's now on 13 and 9, I think, uh, in the league. Also, he's scored in every single Champions League fixture as well. Correct. And uh, if he keeps going, he has a realistic chance of doing something that's never been done in modern history, which is to break the all-time Gerd Müller record of 40 goals in a single league season. Wow. Uh, remember, in Germany, only 34 games. So that would be quite some feat, but... Um, his hit rate would suggest that it's possible this year. OK. In third place in the Bundesliga are Freiburg, fresh from a 2-1 defeat of RB Leipzig. Rafa, remind me, who are Freiburg? <laughs> well, Freiburg are, are one of the sides that uh, every year find new ways of, of confounding uh, expectations. They have a bit of money. It's not that they're total minnows. Uh, they have about 100 million euros in turnover, but they are a side under Christian Streich that are extremely good at scouting. So Yunchu, for example, the Leicester defender, they found him in the third Turkish division for peanuts, really, then they sold him for 20 million uh, pounds a couple of years later. And Christian Streich has this fantastic ability of just making this team gel and making this team of fairly limited players play well beyond their means or at least at the sort of very maximum of what what you could even feasibly achieve with this side and they're always they're always on it they always hassle they always give you really hard time and it took a little bit advantage of Leipzig having slight concentration issues I think as they and as Julian Nagelsmann admitted you know they weren't we weren't quite there in the first half it took them 39 minutes to kind of wake up having had a really good win against Zenit mm. in the Champions League and for them, I think it's it's a case of still adjusting to the life of a of a contender, of a would-be contender in the league and playing in the Champions League as well. This is only the second season and at times like this, it still shows. Okay. Uh, Freiburg currently heading for a, a European place for next season, which is going to mean major, major problems given that they're not allowed to play any games between 8 o'clock and 10 o'clock at night. And no games between one o'clock and three o'clock on a Sunday. Right. Yeah, I mean, they're building a new stadium. Uh, they're moving there next summer. And some of the residents said, no, it's going to be too noisy. And a regional court has agreed with that assessment. Really? Um, yeah, really. They will appeal. And I think there's a good chance that they get this overturned. But it's, um, it's not really the sort of thing you want to be fighting uh, for when you're about to move into this, right. this lovely new stadium. But if you agree, if you give permission to build a new stadium, presumably implicit in, in that is that there's going to be football played there. I don't know. There's some there's some weird sort of uh, legalistic ways of challenging that. I know there was a case of a sort of a, a, a public playground where they had relayed a new surface. Mm -hmm. And because it was a new surface, the residents said, well, a new surface means you have to renew your permission, etc., and they successfully argued that uh, now they can't be played. It's, it's one of those sort of semi-public ones that local clubs can use. I can't remember what city, but it, it could be a similar story. Right. I, I hope for Freiburg's sake and for the sake of um, anyone who's got the Champions League and doesn't necessarily want to go to those games at 3 o'clock in the afternoon that uh, Freiburg can get this overturned. Right, okay. Rafa, before we leave Germany, let's have a word or two about the Bundesliga Zwei, which had all sorts of delights this weekend. Should we start with the incredible game between Holstein Kiel and uh, Bochum? Yeah, it was. A, I mean, I don't know if the game was incredible, but it's right. certainly the the weirdest, strangest penalty decision you'll ever <laughs> want to see, um, courtesy of VAR, incidentally. So uh, what happened is that uh, Gonvula, the um, Bochum striker, 
drag the shot wide and it's sort of bobbling towards uh, the corner flag, halfway between the box and the corner flag, exactly where the keel substitutes are warming up. So one of the keel substitutes, Michael uh, Eberwein, kind of stops the ball, but stops it a little bit prematurely. The ball hasn't actually left um, the pitch. He can't help himself, I think. The ball gets come to him and he just taps it back out. Itching to get on, itching to get his first touch. Uh, unfortunately, um, VAR told the referee this is what happened, and the referee, on the advice of VAR, gave a penalty, which I wasn't familiar with, but it's effectively uh, the right punishment. If you do intervene as a uh, as a substitute, it can either be a foul or it can be indeed a penalty if the intervention happens inside the box. So Bochum scored, but everyone was still okay because uh, Kiel uh, won, won the game 2-1 right. uh, to save uh, Eberwein's blushes. But um, yeah, strange, strange, strange so decision. Is that the rule? Yeah, yeah. That, it's officially it, the rule that just no one knew about it. Well, yeah, if it's if it's a member of the of the team of the opposition that touches the ball or that comes onto the field of play effectively, mm-hmm. then you can give either a free kick or a penalty. Wow. And he was because he was a substitute member of the team. Yeah, yeah. He was deemed to have come on the field of play, even though he basically only just kind of waved a foot over the line. And the referee gave a, a penalty, which is, it's a curious decision. But as you say. By the letter of the law, it's spot on. As for what happened between Karlsruhe and Hanover, <laughs> it looks like he punches him in the gonads. It so this is the what does. he does. He certainly does. He does. This is Ron this Robert Zieler. Yeah, so former Man United and, and Leicester keeper. Why does he do this? So the, the forward's running past him and he just swings at him. Well, what happens is that he, Hanover conceded a very late equaliser, a 3-3 equaliser, and the ball's coming out of the net... And Tila is really unhappy, is frustrated because they had only just scored the 3-2, what they thought would be the winner, but they concede a goal and he just wants to punch the ball as it comes back to him in frustration. Mm. But unfortunately... Not that ball. Exactly, that's what (laughs) happened. He punched the wrong sets of balls. Crikey. Because the striker just ran into his... And got sent off, right? Yeah, it was a second yellow. Yeah, second yellow and red card. They understood that wasn't done on purpose, so he didn't, didn't go down for violent conduct or anything like that but clearly you can't even an accident you can't punch people you can't go around doing that can't do that okay excellent is uh, Thomas Muller on the move in January no he's not on the move in January it's curious how these reports about Man United's interest coincided with this big debate about him not playing and then Niko Kovac actually suddenly playing him uh, strange how things sometimes work in football but no he's he doesn't want to go Bayern doesn't want to sell and uh, it's a bit of a non-story, but we have to, unfortunately, just mention Niko Kovac one more time before we before we go to pastures, uh, more green paps in different countries, because he managed again on Monday to say something so stupid that you're just wondering, you know, how how is it possible that a guy just continued kind of under, undermines himself? So he was asked about um, Liverpool's pressing game and whether Bayern could play like that. And he said, yeah, you know, I mean, Liverpool, one of the best teams in, in, in Europe. And uh, of course, you also need the players for it, you know, because um, if, uh, if it's a 200 kilometers an hour uh, speed limit, but your car can only do 100 kilometers an hour, then you just can't do it, can you? And basically, <laughs> he's basically telling his players that they're kind of just not up for it. And uh, it's, it's just so clumsy and so horrible um, to see. And it, it explains why, the, you know, the, the, the story that half the dressing room was really not happy with him. It won't go away because he just keeps shooting himself in the foot. 
Off next to the verdant fields of Syria. Hmm. It seems as though Serie A is a bit of a dumping ground these days, doesn't it? Where all the Premier League's footballing flops are sent to get them off the wage bill. It's literally a weekly reminder for Man United of all their very expensive mistakes. But thankfully, with Paddy Power's money-back specials, not all your mistakes cost you as much. Get money back as a free bet on football every week. See on site for the latest. Paddy Power, home of the money-back special. Selected markets only. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Il pallone per Pasalic, il gol del 5-1, porta alla nostra sinistra ancora uomo assist Gomez, il destro di Muriel, il gol del 6-1 a Bergamo alla mezz'ora, il gol del giovanissimo Traoré, settimo per l'Atalanta al 38esimo, Atalanta 7, Udinese 1. Yeah, Atalanta getting us underway in City A, fresh from their 5-1 defeat in Manchester, they in turn put seven past Udinese. Curious, as in Manchester, it was the team who ended up on the wrong side of the drubbing that scored first here, James. Uh, Eagle Tudor's Udinese opening things up with Stefano Kaka. And yes. then what happened? Well, and then all hell broke loose. We saw the reaction that I always say is going to come from Atalanta. And boy, <laughs> did it come. <laughs> right. But also Udinese did go a man down. Right. And they essentially lested Udinese. Um, in just taking absolutely no mercy um, whatsoever. Uh, Luis Muriel uh, got a hat-trick, Ilicic got a brace, and you know we always talk about Atalanta having a great academy and their youth team being one of the best um, around, and that was one of the silver linings of last week when they came to Manchester, because even though they brought a depleted team for their youth league game, they beat City. Traore, the 17-year-old, the brother of Hamid Traore, who plays for Sassuolo, he scored in that game, and he scored in oh, did this he score one. in the, um, the Champions League junior game? He scored oh, yeah. in the Champions League junior oh. game in the win, and he scored again uh, when he came on for the final 15 minutes uh, against Studinese. And this is the thing about Atalanta. They've scored 28 goals in nine games. It's the most prolific start to a Serie A season since Fabio Capello's Milan right. uh, back in 92-93. And... Matches their biggest win of all time, James, which was back in 1952 as well. And there was talk after the game. Jean-Pierre Gasparini, do you believe your side can win the league title? And he said, no, (laughs) absolutely not. How many points is it? Three, James. Mm. And given this team has shown that it can last the distance um, in in Serie A, people are thinking. Would you like to bet everyone lunch that they can win the league? Well, I I said on the goals show. Oh, yeah when they were 5-1 down, right. that they will be back in the Champions League next season. Right. And given that they were the only team to take advantage um, of Juventus and Inter dropping points, mm. big disappointment with Napoli playing at the same time, away at Spal in Ferrara, being held to a 1-1 draw. Again, kind of dents people's confidence that Napoli, no matter how good the football they play, no matter how good the squad that they've got, and Carlo Ancelotti being the manager that this team cannot fight for the title. Mm. Atalanta are a more credible candidate at this moment in time. And guess who Napoli are playing midweek? Atalanta. Atalanta. Michael Bubb says, James Horncastle, given the likelihood of Atalanta not getting out of the Champions League, do you think it would be a good idea for them to rest players in that competition and go for something truly special in Serie A? I think so. It's curious because they play this high-risk, uh, high-reward kind of style, which works in Serie A. 
but in the Champions League, and we saw this laid bare, particularly against City, more than any other but team. Why, why does it work in City and not in well, the Well, because League? they are a team that plays 1v1 all over the pitch. Um, and in City A, they tend to come up against teams that either don't have dribblers like Raheem Sterling. Um, and Sterling scored a hat-trick, set up one and won a penalty um, in the win at, uh, at City. Um, I think they were the better side against Shakhtar um, and ultimately were done for inexperience at the end of that game where they threw everyone forward and they got hit on the break and they ended up losing a game they deserved to win. Ilicic missed the penalty in that game. So I think they are certainly better than their performances have shown in, in the Champions League. And I, I, I kind of share this because I think this is an opportunity for them. They've kept the same team that they had last year. Um, they have no problem scoring goals. Even Zapata's out and Muriel keeps banging them in mm. like no tomorrow. So I actually do believe that they are as credible a candidate as a title contender as Inter are at right. this moment in time. Right. It might not just be Udinese that they do a Leicester to do. They might do one to the whole league. Only Manchester City in the big five leagues have scored more goals than them. 32 when they have, they played one more game because they have a 10 games in the league. It's incredible. Nine, yeah. All right, well, just three points off. Juventus only two behind. Inter, this is after Juve and Inter both drew at the weekend. Uh, Parma holding Inter to a 2-2 draw. Uh, Juve with a couple of penalties in their game with, uh, well, one apiece in the game with uh, Fabio Liverani's Lecce. Although uh, Liverani was not on the bench. Oh, has he been... Has he, been... he was suspended, but it was a good week for Lecce because they, of course, got a point away at Milan. Mm. Prestigious, even though, I say, Milan trading on reputation there, no longer a big team. Um, and certainly against Juventus, they defended very well for the final 20 minutes of that game. I'd say the main talking point from the Inter-Parma game, aside... Well, Caramo, who used to play for Inter and has had some issues off the pitch, Jules, you know yeah, about that so, at yeah. Bordeaux. Yeah. Um, also was fined for being late at training at Parma. And he gets his first start and he absolutely ripped through Inter in the first half. Um, Inter taking the lead somewhat fortuitously through a deflected Candreva shot. And then Caramo completely took advantage of a really poor day from Marcelo Brozovic. Scored one great goal, set up another for Jevino. But I think the main takeaway from that game was what Antonio Conte said after the game. Um, and Chelsea fans will be familiar with this. It's like, oh, I'm a bit worried, you know. My midfield's a bit thin. I think come January, we're going to we're gonna have to go into the market again because, I mean, do you really expect me to compete uh, with this squad mm. that I've got at the moment? You know, the one that we've spent £70 million on Lukaku and we've got Alexis Sanchez. Okay, Alexis is injured, but we spent... 49 million on Borello. We've spent 25 million on Sensi. We've got Goodine on a free. You think I can compete with this lot? Can't eat in a five star restaurant with that kind of. Uh, <laughs> yes. Didn't he also didn't he tell um, Sari to shush as well because he was at Juventus and you know you couldn't. Yeah. You, know, you had to compete with what you had and everything because yeah. he was mooning about his squad. But um, into being linked with uh, Jan Vertonghen. Right. Um, and uh, Arturo Vidal, which oh, yeah. I, I think is just magnificent because, you know, one of the reasons why Inter are thin in midfield is because they decided that Rajanay Ingolan wasn't the kind of character that they wanted in the dressing room. Now, is Arturo Vidal any different from Rajanay Ingolan? Different issues. I mean, they both like to go clubbing. Yeah, they're yeah, both smoking. like a night out. Smoking. So, yeah, I think this is, if they were to bring in Vidal, mm. it would be a double standard. Well, what, what, Rakitic is the other name that's been mentioned uh, in yeah. conjunction coming out of 
Barcelona. I think it's been published today that Barcelona needs to sell for the value of 124 million by the 30th of June oh. just to balance their budget. So the Arturo Vidal rumor, the Rakitic rumor, which is rather more than a rumor, it's a reality, are things that will probably happen. I don't know if Arturo Vidal will finally end up being an interplayer, but Barcelona is definitely selling, and they've got a huge overbooking of midfielders. They've got seven in there, and uh, currently only Arturo Vidal, Busquets, Artur, and De Jong are getting minutes, uh, but the rest of the midfielders, they are not playing a lot. And Rakitic, in fact, is playing 10, 15 minutes per game every now and then. I think the issue is that the clubs that have been offered Rakitic know that, and I don't think there's the enthusiasm for him, certainly in Italy, Um, they'll look at it as an opportunity, but Inter's priority for midfield is Vidal, without doubt. It was in the summer, it is again now. Conte knows what he wants, he likes the guys he's already worked with. But the problem is, as you mentioned, Alvaro, is that Vidal has actually been pretty good for Barcelona. Completely changed the game when he came on against Inter in the Champions League. He's, he's been good and uh, he's got that a versatility that uh, sometimes it goes overlooked. I mean, this guy was playing with Marcelo Bielsa in Chile. Mm. Uh, he has played also uh, at Juve in the midfield with Pogba and uh, Pilo. Exactly. And uh, he also played under Pep Guardiola. And uh, I'm not saying that he did fantastically uh, at Bayern Munich, but sometimes I think that he did. Rafa's favorite players. Rafa yeah, at home has got but, but he, Vidal by Munich. But he, know, he knows how to play under, under different formations. I think that Antonio Conte can find a huge value in Arturo Vidal, really. Okay, well, we'll, we'll see. I mean, you can see him, uh, Conte, more going for Vidal rather than Rakitic. More his kind of player. Definitely. Yeah, okay. Uh, Turin Derby coming up on Saturday. Before that, Juve have Genoa on Wednesday. Ha. And that's Thiago Motta's Genoa. How exciting Amazing. was his debut on the Genoa they bench? They didn't play the 2-7-2 formation. Wow, well, not yet. Not yet. Just first <laughs> yet. game. But what time. was impressive... Right, so they're taking on Brescia. Brescia <laughs> actually take the lead with a fantastic goal. I mean, that was some distance out from Sandro Tonali. A great really cross. It? It's really a cross. It? Yeah, James. exactly. Is it? If, yeah. if 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 that free kick is in normal goal-scoring range, do you think Mario Balotelli lets Sandro Tonali take it? No. <laughs> no, it wasn't in normal range. That was what was so impressive. Remember, this is a player who's worth 300 million euros. <laughs> yes. Right? As, as Massimo Cellino Brescia owner was explaining afterwards. So it's 1-0 at half-time to Brescia, but then in the second half, 15 minutes, Genoa just... Unleash hell. Well, unleash is the word, James, because Thiago Motta makes three substitutions, and for the first time in Serie A history, all three of them score, and they turn the game around. And I think what was really impressive, and if the game goes another way, you say Thiago Motta looks confused. What is he trying to do? Lost. He's he's over intervening because they start playing three four two with Radovanovic and midfield player as a centre back. They then go to four two three one. They then go to four four two. They go four three one two, and all these different <laughs> kind of variations. And you, like, where are the players playing? What's going on here? But it worked. They got back into the game. They won it convincingly in the end. Um, Christian Kwame, uh, who came on, brilliant bicycle kick. Um, and the third goal was all three centre-forwards combining with Pinamonti flicking it on to Kwame, Kwame out to Pandev, Pandev with the finish. Um, and yeah, there's um, a yeah, lot of enthusiasm. Pandev scoring, it just freaks me out. He was there <laughs> when I was there. Yeah. I mean, he was a teammate. He was, he was a teammate. Yeah. In the, and and this, was, this is Motta's new treble, right. as they, they were saying. They get their, yeah, nice. they get their first win in six, and that's terrific. Before we move on from Serie A, Quick word on 
Roman sides in the Europa League now. Uh, we got all hot and bothered about Roma against Borussia Mönchengladbach. It was a 1-1 draw and really the Scottish referee, Willie Collin, was the was was the kind of star of the show. He got the column inches. He certainly yeah. did. <laughs> a 1-1 draw there at the Stadio Olimpico. Lazio, meanwhile, away and far more shocking were the scenes in Glasgow as the Iridu Cibile marched down the street doing uh, fascist salutes. Uh, holding up banners saying honour to Benito Mussolini. Did you see the banner the Celtic yeah. fans held up there? <laughs> Follow yeah. your leader. So this is a picture of uh, Mussolini hanging upside down from the lamppost in Piazzale Loreto, no? Yeah, And in uh, where indeed Lazio last season, their fans yeah. had a little staged little mini fascist rally there. Last season, as far as we can recall, they got away with it because it didn't happen at the stadium. Not sure what UEFA's parameters are and whether there'll be some action taken against them here, but hopefully so, because it really was a horrible thing to see. Yep, and again, I would say this is a good team, as we saw again uh, against Fiorentina Mm. on Sunday night, with a good manager. There's a lot of uh, good things about Lazio, uh, but this continues to obscure those good things, um, and it isn't going away. Uh, in fact, in some respects, it's in, it's more emboldened than it's been for a long, long time. Mm. Who knows why? What glimmer of hope for the future of City A can you offer us? <laughs> well, we've had some trialists, haven't we? Oh, yeah? Who's come in? Well, Roma's so short in midfield. Yep. With uh, Brian Cristante, Lorenzo Pellegrini all go- undergoing surgery, Amadou Diawara out, Gianluca Mancini's centre-backs having to play in midfield, Jordan Verratu needs some help. Who have they Who gone for? You? you? On the cast... You? <laughs> Jules, I think. Don't be ridiculous, <laughs> Jules. <laughs> Jack Rodwell was oh, at Trigoria. MG. For a medical test, trial. Doesn't look like he's signed yet. He's out of contract, so he's free to sign whenever. So basically, since most of us last were aware of him at Sunderland, what's he been up to? He was at Blackburn, wasn't he? Was and he at Blackburn? He's, he's been released. And one of the things that Roma fans have said is, are you serious that there aren't players in your under-19 team? Yeah, young players, mm. promising. Because Roma do have a good academy who can come in and actually do it. So we have to see what decision they take on Rodwell. But at the moment, there's, it, it, he hasn't signed. I see. Okay. After this, we continue our jaunt around the continent, uh, arriving in Ligue 1. You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. League uh, Jules. Thank you very much. Uh, Sunday night, you had Le Classique. Was all over by half time. It was indeed. Yeah. It was funny because. It's so sorry, this was the PSG against l'Olympique Marseille. Marseille. Was it not over before kickoff. <laughs> well, no, that's I mean, a very good question because Thomas Tuchel on uh, for PSG in his press conference before the game said, you know, f- this is a huge game for us. It is in French football history, blah blah blah. It's like a league, Champions League game. The atmosphere is always great, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. And Andre Villas-Boas, on the other hand, in Marseille said. Nah, no, that's not for us. This is just another game. We don't really care so much about this game. And already you are feeling like, okay, the fans are not coming because they've been banned from traveling, which is something regular in, in, in that picture. PSG fans can't go to Marseille. Marseille fans don't come to Paris. But you are feeling like, okay, they already come here in Paris. The players know what the managers said, that basically it's not an important game. This is not, you know, for us, it's just like, you know, we know we can't compete. So what, what's even the point of playing it? Mm. And you already felt before kickoff that there was a bit of a, 
Well, they haven't won that. G- it's what nine eight years? years? Eight years, yeah. Eight 2011. years. And even more than that in Paris, nine years uh-huh. in all in in Marseille, eight years. Yeah. So it's been a long time. And right. obviously, of course, the players, you know, on on paper. PSG are far a stronger team than Marseille, but you know we've seen Rudy Garcia playing really defensive and going to Paris and getting a draw, for example. Mm. So it was not Villas Boas had as a as a tactical manager like he is. He had options, I guess, to do something. Instead, instead it was a mess. It's a shame because Marseille went there with the game plan as like, okay, let's try to press them high, but also you know keep our backline quite not not too high. So there was so much gap in midfield that Angel Di Maria and Verratti and Marquinhos and Herrera was just like, this is cool. This is awesome. This is like a training practice. And then they just could ping the ball wherever they wanted. They were all over the place at the back. And then, like you said, at halftime, it was 4-0 up. It could have easily been 6. There was 2 for Icardi, 2 for Mbappé. The fourth one coming from a throw-in in PSG 30 yards. Nine passes, literally... Kelon Navas, it was just an incredible goal finished by Mbappe with a with a ball through from, from Di Maria. But it was far too easy because the game plan was so bad from Villas Boas, who then apologized at the end saying it's all on me, it's my fault. Yeah, you do first. Of course it was. That <laughs> game plan. No, but the game plan was so silly that it made no sense whatsoever. And at halftime it changed, went 4 4 2 and they played a bit better and they didn't concede more. But it was just like, what was the point of playing that game that way? If we focus just on, on Icardi, who scored two, could have had another one maybe, but again, it was there were one-time finishes. He had 16 goals this season, and there's three of those 16 that went off target. All the others were on target. Obviously, he scored seven now since the start of the season, and there was five saved by the keeper. But he's just been in that kind of form 80% of his shots on target, which is, I think, second in the top five big leagues, and 47% of converted shot. So he's been so clinical. I mean, I think his XG is something incredible. So the things to add on add to this is that Lukaku has made the best start to a season by an interstriker, by a new interstriker, for 10 years since Diego Milito. I still miss Mario Cardi. Oh, thank you. He said that PSG is the best, the best team he's ever played Exactly. For. Better than the inside that Mazzari coached with Kuzmanovic, Jonathan, Ruben Botta. Yeah. Well, it's a question of a Belfadil. It means that they are now eight points clear in Ligue 1 of second place Nantes because they lost to Monaco. What about Ben Yedder? I mean, he's on an extraordinary run. He's got uh, eight goals in his last six for the Monegasque. Yeah, he's been he's been the saviour, really. Him and, and Slimani, because mm. behind that, defensively, they're still a bit struggling. Even in midfield, I mean, Cesc Fabregas uh, looks he's like he's 45 when he plays football. He's quite, I mean, the touch is always there, but it's which so is, slow. And which everything. is a mystery, because he's only 32 now. He was really? born in 19, 1987. But, but he's been he, playing since he was six. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah, with, with the lollipop, he's still was his professional debut 16 years ago today. Who? Really? Fabregas's, really? yeah. Well, yesterday, Monday. Okay. But, you know, like, he has been amazing. The goal he scored is a fantastic finish. Which once one? Again. Yeah, the one yeah. against Nantes. And he's saving them. And slowly but surely, they're getting back towards the top of the table with Lyon winning as well for the, fir- the first time against uh, Garcia, against Mets, although it was not Ooh, all convincing. They got a win. They got a win 2-0 with Memphis being captain and, and doing what Memphis does, taking the ball and running by himself and scoring, which was good. And then he went on French television on Sunday night with the most ridiculous uh, sort of Louis Vuitton. You know the uh, gun holder kind of thing? You know that? The, cup the holster. Yeah, holster. 
It's the similar similar kind. Not yeah. not not a whole. You don't put a gun in it. Or there's no pocket. Mobile phone. But it's something like that. All colors from yeah. Vuitton. I it, was, it was a bra. It was yeah. It's, well, it looked a bit like a bra as well. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? Like um, or those um, you know the GPS that the players have now. That kind yeah. of stuff. That on top of his shirt. Okay. It was ridiculous. But you know he's on form. He's the club captain. Gassi got his first win. Yeah, 2-0 against Metz. So, okay. slowly, Monaco and Lyon, after the terrible start of the season, are going back towards the top. Back to make the it title a bit, race. To oh. make it a bit more interesting. Shut up. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Jules, before we leave France, what's the most amazing story you can tell us about a substitute? I can tell you the story of Jan Boho, the 18-year-old Rennes striker. First uh-huh. ever Liga matches. Match, right. sorry. Comes on in the 91st minute. Uh-huh. And a few seconds later, first touch, hadn't touched the ball before, scores the winner to win. So his first touch of his senior career, he scores the winner. Yeah, against Toulouse. What a start for him. Yeah, he looks very promising. He had a few issues when he was younger with the the way PSG treated him. They Mm. they, they used to have those quotas, depending on where you were coming from, etc., etc. So he never made it to the academy, but went to Rennes and so far is bringing him some luck. He was a little bit too boho for them, perhaps. Maybe. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Well, internationally minded football fans may have been intrigued this week by stories of a proposed merger between the top clubs in Belgium and their counterparts in the Netherlands in the interest of uh, claiming a, a better share of the global media football pie. Plans that could become realised, according to one top club owner, possibly as early as next season. Is this all about to happen? A proposed new Benny League? Well, to find out, we called up our friend, top Belgian journalist Christophe Tureur of Het Laster News. Hello, Christophe. Hello, James. Hello there. Uh, Christophe, are you as excited about this, uh, these plans as I am? Or do you think, hang on, we've heard this all before and it never happened? Well, I feel like this, I have the feeling that it's going back to the 90s. Everything that was popular in the 90s comes back around this time. So I think <laughs> those plans I've heard that I've heard that back already when I was uh, was 16, 17 years old. Then the plans were already on the table. I think even one of the one of the driving forces behind the plans back then was. Uh, Michel Verschuren, at that point, general manager of Anderlecht. Uh-huh. And his son, Michel, who is now the managing director of Anderlecht, is quite involved in these plans too. So it's the Verschuren plan along with uh, Bart Verhagen and, uh, and the other Belgian big clubs. I think the Belgian big clubs are asking for it more than the Dutch clubs. OK, so this comes against the backdrop of the Belgian's top clubs being a little bit shown up in the Champions League. The, the, the notion, as I understand it, is that uh, they would be able to conquer more money and success, and this applies to the Dutch teams as well, and hang on to their talent longer if they were in a more high-profile, more competitive league as such. Top sides, top five clubs from Belgium and the top six from Netherlands, already talked earlier this year. Consultancy firm Deloitte has been hired to explore the possibility of it happening, and your friend uh, Bert Verhager says that it could all go very quickly, if not for next season, without a doubt, in the next two seasons, without a doubt, he says, Christophe. They have, uh, yeah, yeah, without a doubt. But I don't think he's, he's looked, for instance, at, uh, at the Dutch TV contract, which has been sold till the 2025, and there's no clause to, uh, to change it. So there might be some uh, unhappy people too, uh, like uh, 
companies and stuff like that. So that are things that have to be uh, arranged too. So that's why I think that it won't be that easy. Also for the Belgian Pro League, they are selling the the television rights for the next three years this summer. So yeah, that means that they will have to add that clause to start uh, to start the Binnen League. And in Belgium, well, Belgium is a bit. Uh, I'm not going to compare it to, to England, but a country for standstill. We 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 don't have a government for for one year now. We don't like governments. Everything is a bit standing still, and that always happens with plans like that too. The smaller clubs they will unite against this plan because they are all uh, they are in the majority in the in the pro league. So I think there will still be loads of talks okay. over the next few weeks, maybe few, next few years, and maybe back in uh, in 2040 or something when the plans are back back on the table. Okay, uh, <laughs> when the Andalect uh, president's grandson is in charge, probably. But <laughs> yes, but something then, yeah. like that. So, do you think never going to happen, or just not for a year or two? Uh, but it's not going to happen as fast as they want, but. If Bart Verhagen wants something, he, he thinks ahead of everybody else. Club Rouge, when he came in, it took a few years to get them running. But he's a guy with a vision, so I see him pushing for that. But he will have to convince the small clubs and, and even the Dutch clubs, I think. Uh, some of the Dutch clubs were not really open open for those plans too. But anyway, we'll see. But as I've seen this 20 years ago, I'm quite sceptic. Hi, Christophe, it's Julian. I just had a, a quick question. Yeah. Would, it be, yeah. would it be a very good thing for Belgian football to have that? Would it, you know, do you think it would massively benefit them compared to what they have now? And is it a case of like to, you know, to keep growing or improving, you know, whatever? They need, they need that kind of change. Well, or you don't well, think so? Playing against, the, playing against the Ajax and PSVs of this world will always benefit. Like, uh, that's what they always say, playing against top teams makes you better. Yeah, but there's only, on the there's other only two top teams really in 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 Holland. In though, Holland, right? so yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it it will make them a little bit better. But on the other hand, I fear for like European places. Will they have the same European tickets for one league that some teams might miss out? And that like uh, youngsters that now, for instance, playing for uh, Racing Genk will miss out on European uh, games. Because of that merge with the uh, with with the Dutch league, and sometimes might not play in Europe, which is always the shopping window, and the the Europa League, for instance, and the Champions League, where they can show themselves, and where the big clubs go and get them often too. So I'm not sure if it's good or not. We will have to see that. I think uh, I'm not against it. I'm not for it. I I just say let's see what happens, but. They always come up with plans. It will be better for the youngsters. It will be better for that. It's only about we'll have more money. That's basically it. Did you know that in 2012 to 2015, they actually did operate a joint Belgian-Dutch league for women's football? And then it was abandoned after three seasons, I guess, that, I don't know, the logistics to, to make it worthwhile or something. But, I mean, the distances aren't, aren't big, but as Christoph says, the TV contracts might be more... Of an issue, well, though, TV also, companies. I mean, it seems to be Belgian-led and the Belgian League and their TV rights is coming up for tender. Call me a cynic, right? but is this just not a negotiating manoeuvre to leverage them to get some more money here? I don't know. But what about Luxembourg and all of this? Well, yeah. quite. That's true. The, the coming force, Dudelange. Exactly. Almost beat AC Milan last year. Dude, there you go. Yeah. Anyway, dude, now. where's my launch? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, 
Uh, after this, so at last, that at was last, sweet. <laughs> at last, it is time for La Liga. That's a heck of a tune, Alvaro Romeo. And it salutes the fact that who's top of the Liga? Granada, 20 points. They've they just come up with 7 million euros worth of new players and they're top of the Liga. Well, but it's all about uh, doing as best as you can with uh, very, very few means. And mm. uh, last season, around this time, they got themselves into playoff places uh, to promote to Primera División and uh, they didn't abandon those places since uh, mid-September, early October until late June when they got uh, finally the promotion to La Liga. I think that the catalyst of all this uh, success has been Diego Martinez, the manager. He's a 38 years old man, um, a guy with no experience in the top flight, a guy who got uh, Granada last season the, back in August and uh, he did a terrific job. He has lost only nine games ever since he took over and uh, this Granada team is a, is a mix of uh, youth, experience. They've got a few players that you could say, OK, yes, these have to be the best of the team, the likes of Roberto Soldado, the likes of Gona Longs. But these players, they are taking part of this, uh, this project as, uh, with the same uh, uh, interest and uh, excitement as uh, the youngsters. And they are doing a great job in here. Uh, they have only lost one game this season uh, it was against uh, sorry two games against Real Madrid and Sevilla right. but for instance they beat Barcelona at uh, uh, Los Carmenes and they've been uh, winning uh, games consistently at home in fact uh, they have won their last four home games and uh, yeah they are uh, they've got 20 points now let's don't forget that Real Madrid and Barcelona they've got uh, still a game left to play right. but still this is a terrific job so far absolutely well top seven currently covered by only three points and as you mentioned, Barcelona and Real Madrid are in there, both with a game in hand after the Clásico this weekend was delayed because of security concerns in Barcelona. And that mess is continuing about the decision of the Spanish FA to restage El Clásico on the 18th of December, which La Liga is suing them for? Yeah, La Liga doesn't want that. Real Madrid and Barcelona want to play on the 18th of December. The time is still to be confirmed. The Spanish FA is all right with that, but La Liga doesn't want that because El Clásico is uh, the most expensive game, obviously, in La Liga. Mm. And uh, the TV operator in Asia that uh, will... Uh, broadcast this game is not happy with the the time of the game because it's going to be played probably in the evening on a Wednesday and this is not what they were expecting so Javier Tebas the La Liga president is trying to stop this but this is going to be almost impossible Real Madrid and Barcelona want to play the game on a Wednesday 18th of December there are not many dates left the Spanish FA is all right with that right. and no matter what La Liga or what the TV right holders abroad think uh, this game has to be played but you just still have to take a massive financial hit on the TV rights. That's a possibility. Perhaps uh, La Liga will get a fine for that. But uh, yeah, as I said before, La Liga wanted to the game to be played in another time. Uh, I think that it was going to be at the beginning of December. But neither Barcelona nor Real Madrid want to play it that day. Okay. Because the game, the game was supposed to be at twelve o'clock. That was right. Yeah. yeah. Twelve o'clock to suit the Asian market, right? Exactly. To suit China. the Asian market. But this is not happening. It's why we put out this podcast at midnight. Or Monday. That's right. So right. Asian listeners. Yeah. Hi there in Please, Asia. Yeah. Uh, yeah, on your good commute. morning to you. Mm. 
Uh, Deeply s- cynical move for me and Macintosh. Right. Yeah. And Medinese. In other, in other Liga news, you did at least get Athletic Club de Bilbao and Atletico Madrid and Atleti won 2-0 with Oblak with an amazing performance. Yeah, he did a great uh, save to Inigo Martinez uh, in the first half. Uh, a terrific header that uh, had a great response from the Slovenian goalkeeper. And uh, Atletico de Madrid beating Atletico de Bilbao is no news anymore. Um, I think that uh, the last time Atletico de Bilbao won away at Atletico de Madrid was back in 2011, so before the Simeone time. Right. Atletico de Madrid... Uh, didn't play Diego Costa this time because he's having a really, really bad uh, scoring form. And uh, Alvaro Morata played with Ángel Correa up mm-hmm. front. And Correa was the the best player for Atletico de Madrid, uh, providing two assists, uh, one for Saúl, one for Alvaro Morata and Atletico de Madrid. End up wrapping up the game and wrapping up a really good week as well because they managed to beat uh, Bayer Leverkusen in Champions League. So they've got seven points in the Champions League now, which is really good because they are pair up uh, with Juventus and they are in Champions League positions in La Liga. So there is something not very convincing about Atletico de Madrid because they are not capable of uh, scoring many goals or winning for them becomes a very difficult job but uh, once they score the first goal then they know how to defend it so we, we know how it goes with Atletico de Madrid Brilliant, okay uh, One quick word on uh, the Champions League from last week with Barcelona not convincing particularly in their 2-1 victory away in Slavia Prague and some reports of some bust-ups in the dressing room after that game. Yes. One of the worst uh, games that Barcelona has played in recent times against Slavia Praga. They managed to win 2-1, but it was really difficult for them and uh, they had to defend pretty much with nine men. And I say nine and not 11 because Suarez and Messi never defend. Hmm. So they have to defend with nine players that uh, that scoreline and right after the referee uh, called the final whistle Lionel Messi didn't even shake hands with anybody else he just left the pitch uh, uh, through the dugout and uh, he left uh, the pitch really angry and uh, he wasn't the only angry guy in there because uh, Marc-Andre Ter Stegen the German goalkeeper after the game he said publicly that some things have to be addressed quickly at Barcelona what things Alvaro? I think that he's referring to the fact that uh, the team uh, seems to have like two different levels of uh, compromise there is a compromise of those who are newcomers like, the likes of Griezmann the likes of uh, you know who they are uh, those players who haven't been there as long and uh, they still have to win a Champions League, for example. They have to win more leagues. And those players who have won a lot and they don't work as hard to defend a scoreline. And that has been mainly the main Barcelona problem in Europe over the last four years. When it came to the big game, Barcelona was defending with eight players or with nine players maximum because... I think that Griezmann is going to be one more defender for, for Barcelona when the opponent has the possession of the ball. But Messi and Suarez, they are on vacation when the rival has the possession of the ball. So that doesn't work in Europe. It may work in La Liga, but it doesn't work in Europe. And at Roma, at Turin against Juventus versus Paris Saint-Germain, despite uh, doing La Remontada, and of course last year versus Liverpool, that didn't work. So I think Marc-André Ter Stegen was precisely pointing out at the level of compromise of 13 players. Barcelona win the Champions League if they leave out Messi and Suarez. <laughs> Imagine. It's the way to win. Oh. Imagine. Just oh. win, baby. No, but, <laughs> All right, well, they'll be hosting so Slavia the Prague uh, the week after next. It'll be interesting to see if uh, things change goes at home. Uh, the record's so strong for did the Catalans. See, Sorry, did you see that look that Messi gave Valverde when Slavia equalised? And Messi is caught looking at the bench toward the bench and Valverde is like looking at the pitch and Messi just looking at him like that, shaking his head. I, I want to see one thing, what the 
the lineup against Valladolid is because I think that Lionel Messi wasn't happy with Griezmann, but especially wasn't happy with uh, Ousmane Dembele during the game because uh, French the French player yes, could disgrace. have passed the, the ball to, to Messi a couple of times and he didn't. So I wonder if Ansu Fati could have an opportunity in the next mm. game. And also, let's not forget that Lionel Messi's brother is the representative, the agent, sorry, of Ansu Fati as well. So I don't know if that can play in favor of Ansu Fati, but of course, considering how good he has been playing, considering that Ansu Fati uh, has refused to play the Under-17 World Cup, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets some playing minutes uh, against Valladolid. Before uh, we end up with the La Liga review, I would like to say that Villarreal this season, they are looking good. They are already like uh, neighboring uh, European places. And last season, they were fighting uh, to avoid relegation. Right. Uh, the key here is that they have signed five or six players that they make a great backbone to the team. Uh, Pau Torres, a Villarreal uh, academy player. Raul Albiol from Napoli. Mm. Zambo Anguisa, former Fulham player. Mm. And Vicente Iborra, former Leicester City player. And Alberto Moreno, believe it or not. They are making Villarreal a very consistent team. So... They are looking good. They beat 4-1 Alaves on Friday and uh, Santi Cazorla is playing really well as well. He provided an excellent assist to Gerard Moreno on a Friday night. Then Sevilla played Getafe. Um, you have to watch uh, the dribbling of Lucas Ocampos to Getafe goalkeeper because uh, if he meant that is one of the dribblings of the season, it's really good uh, the way he put the goalkeeper on the floor. Yeah, so the first goal there's really nice, Alvaro, from uh, Chicharito, who's kind of falling over but still manages to poke it past the keeper. Yeah, after getting a really good pass from Oliver Torres, the uh -huh. former Porto player, and uh, the second goal of Lucas Ocampos was yeah. amazing. Well, James, you're a fan of that. Unorthodox way of going around the keeper, James. Instead of actually going around him, he just goes straight. That's <laughs> brilliant. He just sort of just dink. He doesn't even dink it over him. He just like kind of faints to go around him. I think Messi did that uh, against Arsenal, but in a more pronounced way because mm. he chipped the ball a bit more over yeah, Almunia. Definitely. But this one from Ocampos is even more subtle. I really like that finish. Mm, very nice indeed. We'll talk more about uh, the midweek fixtures in a second or two, listener. We will also touch on what on earth is happening with Fabio Cannavaro having re-education in China and uh, some bizarre events in Croatia as well. Right now, though, here's producer Ben with our friends Paddy Power. Thank you very much, Jimbo. Lee Price from Paddy Power is on the line, listeners, so don't you dare go fast-forwarding. Lee, let's start in Spain. Granada are top of the table in La Liga. Can they break into the top four? A top four finish remains a long shot for Granada at the moment. We offer odds of 35 to 1, which puts them 10th in our betting. Or you can get odds of 15 to 2, they break the top six. 11 to 10, they finish in the top half. Or odds on, 4 to 6, they finish bottom half. Ouch. Over in Italy, Atalanta had a record-breaking weekend, closing the gap on Juve and Inter. What are the odds on the goddess winning their first ever Serie A title? God, I'm a real party pooper today. Let's start with the good news here. And that's our traders make Atalanta odds on to finish in the top four, 4 to 6 but they're less bullish about title chances. It's 22 to 1 that Gian Piero Gasparini's men win the Scudetto. Juventus remain the odds-on favourites, of course, ahead of Inter Milan and Napoli. However, if the goddess do get result at the San Paolo on Wednesday night, they might suddenly shorten in the betting. And finally, we've got some German Cup action this week. Bochum play Bayern on Tuesday. That would be a huge upset, but, you know, tell us how big. Yeah, it will be big. Um... Although not as big for context as the price we saw for Aston Villa to win at Man City on the weekend. The unstoppable though, as they're known, although I suspect they're very much stoppable in this instance, are the home team here. 
and they're an eyebrow twitching 18 to 1 in the win market. Bayern, on the other hand, are 1 to 12 to see them off and are evens to win the tournament outright. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Other worlds, other football. Colin Miller here flagging up an incredible moment, as Colin puts it, in the Croatian League. Did you see this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. When Rafa Slavan sir. Yeah. Yeah, that's him. <laughs> <laughs> The <laughs> their players <laughs> yeah, I mean you can understand they can score you? they can score the equaliser can you really understand I well no you th- you can understand their reaction because it 100% looks like they've scored and they all start celebrating but they haven't the keeper flies in and he manages to touch the ball onto the post and then continues his trajectory into the net which kind of gives the illusion that the ball has hit the net you kind of see the shot going in and then the net billows and all the players start celebrating what is clear is that they haven't scored the ball is very much in play and so are their opponents Hayek split or Hayek Spalato who who basically head down the other end of the field I love how you just pronounced it in, in, in Italian there <laughs> Italian so, you know. right it's Hayek Spalato <laughs> so, Spalato, Spalato is the Italian <laughs> version yeah and they and the, the keeper the um, Slavon keeper has run upfield to celebrate with his teammates now finds himself backpedalling at some speed to try and cover the onslaught from Hayek uh, and he doesn't get back in time the irony being though that if he hadn't jog back if he hadn't kind of backpedaled the um, Slavon people would have been offside but they weren't so they scored and then it was one of those moments when you score a goal James know about this when you score a goal that didn't actually go in that's <laughs> just when you're almost just, at your most vulnerable exactly play, yeah just play, yeah. play until the whistle that's what play they teach you the since you were a kid that's true it's even more true for come on in a big Croatian game can you imagine the crowd noise must have been huge anyway very unfortunate <laughs> I'm serious everyone but you could say didn't the same look, then in, in Germany or exactly. in France. Didn't but look, this, happens, this happens a lot, not with such an outcome, but for mm. example, when defenders think that it's been offside mm-hmm. and they lift their hand and they do nothing and yep. the game plays on. Play to the whistle. How yeah. do you say that in yeah. Spanish, Alvaro? Hasta el final. Until the end. Simple as that. Okay. Yeah. Hasta la victoria siempre. Perfecto. Mm. Okay. Uh, Fabio Cannavaro news, James. I mean, this is bizarre. Yep. Because he's in charge of Guangzhou Evergrande. Not anymore, he's not. And this is the thing, because his team are top of the table with three games to go. They were held at the weekend, 2-2, and he's since been replaced uh, on an interim basis by the captain. Right. Former Charlton Celtic man, Zheng Zhi. Yes. But where's Cannavaro now? He's 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 been taken to corporate headquarters to a, attend an enterprise culture studies class. And he, he, he won't be coming back, and they've got a top of the table clash. What what happened? Why did they? Because they were unfair. Well, listen, Guangzhou are an unusual. They have an un, unusual approach to um, commitment. If they think people aren't performing, for example, I think about a week ago, there were two of their players that were with the national side, managed by Marcello Lippi, and Lippi dropped them for what was then a nil-nil with the Philippines. And Guangzhou was so in, incensed, uh, as I understand it, by the dishonour to their club of their players being dropped, that they fined them for breaking two two of the club's kind of articles of like code of conduct. Rule number two, which players must feel a sense of honour to be selected by the national team and do their best to make it into the final squad. And rule number four, which requires Evergrande players to work extra hard in national team training sessions. So they basically got fined a whole bunch of money for for breaking club rules while they were with the national side. So Cannavaro having a 2-2 draw is like uh, an evidence of his lack of commitment to the, yeah. the club's objectives. And they'd gone out in the semi-finals of the uh, Asian Champions League um, as well. 
Um, but Cannavaro, who's, this is his second spell uh, with Guangxi Evergrande because he got the job, I think, after Lippi the first time around, went and became China's uh, national team coach. And in the interim, uh, was coach of the year. Um, I think he, I think he took, uh, was it Tianjin from the second division to second or third in the mm. Chinese Super League and they got into the uh, Champions League on the back of that. So Fabio at this moment in time, it's a little bit like when you work for a newspaper and you have to do, you know, sort of two weeks of training, something like, you know, on, on this new bit of software that they've got. Which... All right. Oh, do you think it's that rather than the fact that he's... No, I think this that. is absolutely crazy. I have no oh, idea what's yeah. going on. I mean, it's... it's. Do you remember when um, Capello was interim manager in the sort of mid-80s at Milan and then he went to work for Berlusconi? Yeah, as a commentator. Well, no, not only as a commentator, but he went and worked for a number of uh, oh, right, okay, Berlusconi's so. different businesses mm. and sort of consultancy and that sort of thing. But that was very much Capello's... It was offered to Capello and it was a choice. Uh-huh. This isn't a choice. Not a choice. Okay. <laughs> Fabio, Fabio right. seems to have just been like, yeah, you won't be on the bench for our next game, which is a top of the table clash. You won't be able to seed out this this season, which um, you know you're on, on course to win the league at but, the moment. Just... But we don't know what what it's actually been. No, it's just a draw. It the can't issue. be just a draw, right? Yes. It can't be sacked just for the. Well, draw. I mean, I think Rafa raises a perfectly valid point there. Is if you look at the result you, and you look at their place in the table, you think this is kind of drastic action just to be taken over over results mm. but maybe he's just being taken aside to show him how to use powerpoint better uh, for his match analysis, about time pre- to be fair. match analysis presentation all right well uh, more as we know more listener and if you are based in and around Guangzhou, do let us know if you've got any insider info on that uh, there's midweek action coming up in Italy and Spain, and you've got the Pokal in Germany. When he each suggests a fixture that people really should tune into, Rafa. You already did, James. Did I? Yeah, the Borussia, the Borussia. Borussia derby. Yeah. Right. That should be smashing. Well, that's great news. When's that on? Either Tuesday or Wednesday. <laughs> great, okay. <laughs> Check local listings for details. Alvaro? Valencia-Sevilla. Ooh. I would say that that is a very good game. It happens on Wednesday. Okay, that's nice. James, what you got? It's got to be Napoli-Atalanta, James. Certainly has. And uh, we have seen Atalanta get points against the big boys. Yes. They've been to Napoli two of the last three times. They've won Ooh. in Naples. They will win. When's on, the game on? On Wednesday night. I think okay. it's one of those weird ones in Italy where they decide to play at six o'clock. Italian time? UK time. Okay. All right, six o'clock. Well, that'd be nice so, on Wednesday. There are four games at six o'clock uh, this midweek in Spain as well. Lunchtime. Four games, uh, almost. No. Yes. Almost. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And we've got the League Cup in France. Monaco, Monaco is Marseille. This the last ever edition of the League yes, Cup. Yes, it is the last edition. Wow. Let's 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 get out with a bang. Much Monaco loved. Marseille in the last. Monaco 16. Marseille. That'll be yeah. big. We'll have to see if Frank Ribéry plays well, against yeah, Sassuolo. Yeah. Sorry, that's something because we never mentioned. He has just issued an apology, mm. um, saying how sorry he is about his reaction. Uh, last so night. this comes from a Sunday night's game, just to finish off, listener, between Fiorentina and Lazio, which was 1-2-1 by Lazio. Lazio. And Ribéry, who was incensed at a penalty decision, a penalty that in the end wasn't scored, but uh, he was incensed by the referee's decision, so much so that he shoved the official. He shoved the official. He was, it was a bad-tempered night for him, because after mm. setting up Chiesa's goal brilliantly... He was substituted and then really kicked off about being substituted. Well, he slid kind of into the back of Chiesa as his way of celebration. <laughs> yes. the, it was a great goal. No, it was a great goal. But um, his reaction in the dugout to being taken off oh, was, really? was uh, he threw up his arms in the air. He sat down. He stood up. He was clearly shouting at someone. And yeah, so Frankie, um, you know, having to be a bit more contrite 
um, this morning. Uh, but Montella made light of it afterwards. He was saying he, when he was coming off, he was complaining that I hadn't taken him off earlier, clearly. <laughs> Good old Montella. Nice one. So All Borussia right. v Borussia is on Wednesday. Brilliant. All right, there you go, listener. <laughs> All the info you need for the week ahead. We will return with another Euro special next Tuesday. Oh, I just say, and, yes? it's, and it's available um, for free on YouTube. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, like all cup games. Brilliant. The Pokemon. Yeah, it's on the, the Bundesliga, Bundesliga channel. channel. Yeah. Brilliant. All right, that's uh, great. Worldwide. Or DFB, the German FA channel. Good. All right, excellent. <laughs> uh, Rafa will be back next week along with Alvaro, and James and Juliana will be previewing match day four of the Champions League. And of course, rounding up all the action from the weekend as well. Many thanks for being with us today, everybody, and you, listener, and have yourself a great time in the meanwhile. For now, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com. <laughs>